Consider yourself for a moment the promoter of the UFC. You have excellent matchmakers in Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard with 11 divisions which for the most part have fairly popular champions and a 12th weight class on the way. Every once in a while there comes a couple of unicorns on the horizon, but for the most part your champions don't break 600,000 pay-per-view buys and with a couple exceptions aren't necessarily household names. So say then you'd like to change this formula by maybe adding some bigger names to your fights. Dream fights. Monumental events to boost these divisions with some larger stars who don't necessarily win enough to get gold. Or the title itself doesn't even matter because of the popularity of the two stars, so you make them headline a pay-per-view card anyway. What would you do? Would you continue to put on fights that followed a structured line of contenders vying for the title? Or would you allow the line to be cut by fighters whose popularity could help you sell more than the average of 400,000 or as high as 500,000 pay-per-view buys on a good night? The answer sounds obvious, right? Guys like Nate Diaz have popularized the notion that belts simply aren't worth as much as they used to be. It's not a strange idea in other combat sports either. How many of you can honestly tell me what title belts Mayweather and Pacquiao held without Googling it? Or even Mike Tyson, Holly Holmes kickboxing and boxing belts. So let's talk about that. I'm Jason from MMA on Point, and I'm here to ask, do belts still matter in the UFC? Alright, let's start by looking at all of the biggest draws in the sport of MMA in terms of actual pay-per-view sales. There's BJ Penn, John Jones, GSP, Chael Sonnen, Anderson Silva, Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz, Ronda Rousey, Brock Lesnar, Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz, and Conor McGregor. So what are some of the commonalities that each of these stars share? You'll notice that nearly all of them are champions. Most of them were considered dominant when they racked up their highest pay-per-view sales. But there are a couple of exceptions in that group. Chael, Nate Diaz, and Nick Diaz. So why then is it that the biggest sellers were all title holders except for these guys? The answer there is fairly simple. They were fighting dominant champions in most cases, or at the very least a new champion in the case of Connor, who was on a long fight streak at the time with shocking stoppages. So looking at Chell, he was fighting the person with the longest title reign in UFC history in Anderson Silva. Similarly, Nick Diaz was fighting GSP, who was another contender for the greatest of all time. And Connor was coming off of his 13-second knockout of a champion like Jose Aldo, who was undefeated for 10 years, was the number one pound-for-pound, pound, even ahead of John Jones and Demetrius Johnson at the time. And Jose Aldo was the only featherweight champion that the UFC had ever had, a champion who was barely even tested by his competitors. Of course, Chell's mouth did a ton of work to sell his fight, but it was just as much about who he was up against the genuine, unbeatable aura of Anderson Silva at the time. Nick Diaz was a bit more complicated since he was the strike force champ, and his only loss since returning to the UFC was a controversial one to Condit. Before that, he'd essentially won all of his fights for six years straight. The KJ Noon's loss wasn't a real loss, it was just due to a cut, and it shouldn't have been called. Connor was riding high and made his title win look so effortless that it appeared we were all going to see him follow down that dominant champion's path as well. It's really important to note that Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz, and Chell never reached similar numbers on their own aside from these champions. Even when Nick Diaz fought Anderson Silva in a massive fight that fans had always wanted to see, that still only did 650,000 buys. Why didn't it do better? Well, the answer is both weren't riding high on win streaks or holding belts any longer like they did when they pulled up their biggest numbers. Point being, they needed that championship legitimacy for their pay-per-views to sell well. It's definitely possible Nate Diaz could break a million buys on his own, but I honestly doubt he'd break that headlining a card against anyone not named McGregor at this time. If he beats McGregor again and then headlines a card as champion, now we're talking. 
And in the line of exceptions, it's also worthy of noting that Brock wasn't a longtime champion, but did appear nearly unstoppable even in his first loss against Frank Mir. The second fight was proof that inexperience would overtake Mir. It wasn't until Shane Carwin that the stand-up game cracks really started to appear and showed how unprepared he was for the fights to come in the division. Oh yeah, Brock was also like really big and stuff, plus he was like a famous guy or something. What is this, like strong guys and stuff like that? So now that we've talked about the exceptions to the rule, let's talk about what happens most of the time. Back to this list. Each of these other large pay-per-view sellers were dominant champions, not purely on hype, but with its foundation rooted in the reality of dominant records. They all looked unbeatable and did it impressively with resumes that looked extremely stacked. People like GSP had beaten Hughes, BJ Penn, Koscheck, Fitch, and Condit before beating Diaz. Anderson Silva had Dan Henderson, Rich Franklin, Jeremy Horn, Forrest Griffin, Vitor Belfort, and of course, Chel Sonnen. You can find similar pedigrees for the rest of the folks on this list. Even someone like Ronda was the first women's champ ever who did appear dominant against the people she faced at the time. And as I've stated in previous videos, you can't say her record was padded because she beat three of the four women that defeated current champ Amanda Nunes and also beat Misha, who beat Holm. That's just how crazy fighting is a lot of times. Things don't add up. Strong stand-up fighters just hadn't made it to the top of division and were losing to the fighters Ronda was dominating. As mentioned above, Conor's massive knockout against Jose was a huge success at the time. And while Conor's success was built similarly to Chael's in that they were both great at hyping their championship fights, they also posed a credible threat to the most dominant champions in the sport. But I think it's fair to say that Justice Shell never had a major selling pay-per-view after the second loss to Silva. The same would have happened to Connor if he would have lost to Jose and continued losing after that. Personality is an element of promoting a fighter and contributes to their overall success. But alone, Trash Talk is just the boy who cried wolf, and frankly a joke. You're just another fighter who overtalked and paid the price. The real trick is to have both. Without the actual wins and the records to go behind it, no one takes your trash talk seriously. But that's the balance you have to walk because without the trash talk, it's just harder to get people's attention unless you reach Anderson Silva status with insane dominance over objectively big names like the aforementioned Dan Henderson and Vitor Belfort. The larger point here is that belts aren't a fantasy. It's actually the concept of money fights that are fantasy. I think I'm going to have to make a video about Dana White and talking about the biggest times he lied to MMA fans to make up for this next statement. But what he said about money fights are true. I'm getting tired of the term money fights. You're going to make whatever you're going to make, and if you're a good champion and your fight sells, you're going to do pay-per-views, and you're a partner in the pay-per-view. If you're not that big pay-per-view star, shut up and fight. If you aren't already a money fighter, putting you in with another fan favorite isn't enough to make you one. It's never broken a million buys that way. What's first and foremost is your ability to win against tough competition impressively and defeat big names over years of time. The best against the best. That's what it's all about. There'd be no stars like Mayweather if he hadn't been undefeated for so long. No GSP, no Silva, no Liddell. They would have faded into obscurity and those big fights would have never happened. Bisbeing versus GSP may break 800,000 buys based on George's record as welterweight's former kingpin and the two amazing title fights that will also be on the card just before them. But alone, I'd be surprised if it broke 650,000. Not a true money fight. If you want to understand a little bit more about where we're coming from on struggling popularity with dominant champs like Demetrius Johnson, check out my video on him. I think it's important to say that we as the MMA community appear to have lost sight of what it is that makes a huge fighter truly massive. 
Mayweather-Pacquiao settles were based on how each fighter was so dominant and were title holders with personality and years of anticipation being an igniter. And even if you couldn't tell me what belts they were holding or what they were called, you still knew that they were at the top and they were title holders. Even in the Mayweather-McGregor fight, it was about Connor's shocking knockouts versus the best pound-for-pound fighter of his era. You have to at least convince the public that legitimate competition is there from enough of the spectator's eyes. Very few exceptions apply. And one last thing for the record. As a fan, I don't care about the UFC's bottom line. A money fight sure does help the fighter, but it's pretty insane how often fans talk about wanting to see money fights. Even the hardcore fans. I just don't care about that. I care about seeing the best fights. At the end of the day, I'm still paying my own money to watch. I don't know why we put so much stock into lining UFC's pockets. In a certain sense, it is good for us when the UFC does well, but without legitimacy, these money fights won't last. Only time and real competition can build up a sport. And with that, that wraps up my video. What did you think? Am I way off base here? Tell me if you agree or disagree. We'll chat about in the comments below, and thanks for watching. Hey guys, what's up? My name is Jason from MMA on Point. I just want to say thanks for watching this video. Uh, go ahead and like or share the video and then uh, subscribe to us if you haven't already. We're also on Twitter. Our account is OnPointMMA. And then you can follow me personally at JasonTheHeart on Twitter. Um, I'm starting this channel up with a really good friend of mine. Uh, he's one of my UK buddies that's also a video editor. You'll see his videos on the channel. His name is Tom. What we are really trying to do in short is just start an MMA fan channel that brings a little bit of entertainment value and production quality. Uh, we feel like the only thing that's out there is basically journalism and analysts, but there's not really that kind of fun thing that you get like when you see movie reviews or you see people talking about video games, there's all that stuff out there, but for whatever reason, there's nothing quite on MMA. And so we feel like that's something that we can bring. If you believe in this and if you think that this is a niche that we are fulfilling and you feel like uh, this is something that needs to be brought to the table, we're also on Patreon. So go ahead and support us there if you're interested. But uh, that's it. I just wanted to give you guys a brief introduction. Thanks so much for watching the video. And I'm serious. If you comment below, I am more than willing to talk to you. So thank you so much. And you all have a great day.